0: You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 182. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. Uh, Right now, we're going to start with a little bit of a story. Uh, So you're going to have to use your imagination. Imagine that you are invited onto a game show by some mischievous game show host. And, um, you know, they, they give you this task. It's one of those, you know, um, uh, uh, it's one of those games where you get out in the real world, like kind of a scavenger hunt type things, but not really. So here's what you have to do. Uh, you have to be at a certain place In your town, in whatever town you're in, whatever town you live in, you have to go to a certain place in town tomorrow at noon. Actually, you could go anywhere in town, anywhere that you want. But here's the thing. You know that there's another contestant out there, and that contestant is given the same instruction. So their instruction is also to go somewhere in town and see if they can uh, meet someone. And basically, the idea is that if you both show up in the same place, you both have two halves to the password, and you both get $1,000. If you don't show up to the same place, and you can't find that person, then you both get nothing. So you just have to go to one place. And you know, the other person is also asking, do you go to one place? And the question is, where do you go? Um, And obviously, it depends on what town you're in. uh, But this is actually a problem. In game theory and economics, and uh, this particular example, or at least a, a form of it, was given by Thomas Schelling in, 19, in the 1950s. And he was looking for something called a uh, uh, something called a, a focal point. Got a little book on game theory here. I'm gonna I'm gonna read here what a what a focal point is for the players in the game. The intuitive idea of a focal point was first advanced by Thomas Schelling in 1960 in his book, The Strategy of Conflict. It refers to a strategy vector that stands out from the other strategy vectors because of some distinguishing characteristics. Okay, so uh, what's going on here? Uh, A a focal point in, in this case is some place in town that you know is a good meeting place. So the the, the example that uh, Schelling gives, which is still, uh, what is it now, 80 years later? Wait, 1960 to, yeah, like 81 years later? No, no, no. Not 81 years later. Oh my God. So, <laughs> no, there are a lot of people I know who we were born in the 60s. Okay, 1960 to now, sorry, 61 years later mm-hmm. is, um, is that uh, you would go, to the clock at Grand Central. I know that's where my family w- likes to meet. If you're if you're in Grand Central, that's where most people would meet. Uh, if you had to meet someone in, in Manhattan in New York City, but if you're a, in a different town, it might be a different place. Is it? You know, do you go to City Hall? That sometimes is kind of an awkward meeting place. That might not be the place to go. Um, I'm I'm trying to think. You know, for here in Salem, New Hampshire, I'm really I'm really just not sure where I would go. Uh, For for Brooklyn, I'm really not sure where I would go Uh, if it were, you know, let's see if I know if I was downtown, I'd probably meet in front of in front of Borough Hall. But uh, um, I don't know. Or do you meet in front of the uh, the bridge? It's very, very unclear. And so but, you know, you could play this game a bunch of times and you can sort of uh, imagine it as, uh, you you know, you can can imagine playing a game of a family feud where this becomes a lot more obvious like you know hey we asked 100 people in brooklyn where they would meet and this is what they said and then you could start guessing places um, and so and that's what makes family feud so fun it's because it's actually based on a, uh, a an actual problem in, in game theory, which in this case is called the coordination problem. So the coordination problem is you, you're trying to match other people. You're not necessarily trying to get a right answer, but you're trying to match the answer that other people give. And so uh, that's sort of the problem of coordination and that is the the problem of the the game where you have to meet someone and that's also the problem of family feud. Uh, so This problem becomes a lot easier once you play multiple times, because once you are kind of coordinated with the other person, then you stop and you kind of find your focal point. Um, Just like if you have a bunch of people playing Family Feud and you have... Uh, well, first of all, you already know what the answers are, and so you'll all pick the right answers. But then if the people who are guessing the answers in Family Feud, which for those of you who don't play Family Feud, it's like they, they ask a question like, um, you know, I don't know, what is, you know, what's your favorite food? And then you have to guess, you know, what the most common answers were. Mm. Uh, but then if the people who are guessing are also the people who are being surveyed, then eventually you'll have 100% kind of uh, 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 coordinate onto the same answer because everybody knows that if they give the same answer as everybody else, then they win. Um, so that's not Family Feud. That's just like a, a a weird version of Family Feud. So okay, that's all about finding focal points, and I think that we can broaden this economic idea, this game theory idea of focal points, and think of it as like a possible analogy to the role that custom and tradition. Can play in uh, either a society or in um, you know in the case of I'm I'm sort of also thinking more in the case of uh, a government or in the case of a uh, in, in the case of other economic activity like a um, like a, uh, a a trade or a contract or that sort of thing and so it's and it also works for communication technology and internet protocols and alphabets and languages, because you have to be on the same protocol as everybody else. If I want to pick a computer language to use, uh, well, it helps if everybody, if there's a a large community around that language, because then I know there'll be more tools for it, and there'll be more uh, developers willing to write for it. Um, Words, now, we, we like to think of words as having meaning, but really, words are just, you know, whatever meaning that people assign to them, And so you can use any words and sounds you want to convey meaning, but it only works if most people are on the same standard. And so you could think of language as also kind of a a focal point there. So this idea is something that kind of came to mind for me when thinking about the idea of a a constitution, you know, one that forms the basis of a government. Or, you know, you could also think of it as a, uh, a charter or a contract of some time that defines the rules of an organization. And one of the ideas that I came in uh, contact with when I was at uh, the Porkfest Liberty Conference about uh, a month ago is that the, a lot of people who believe in freedom and individual liberty have completely given up on the idea of constitutions and so I want to address this a little bit it's not meant to be a, a rant but as is common on the local maximum this is kind of a forum for presenting thoughts and ideas so hopefully we'll learn something and I'm open to being challenged uh, but I think that the, that that the theory of focal points form part of the answer to how do you get a constitution to work because you know you could say the original U.S. constitutions was originally meant to preserve liberty. Obviously, it's much more complicated than that. It was also meant to, uh, you know, preserve, uh, you know, the independence of the United States. It's also meant to kind of preserve order, uh, in a sense, uh, you know, law and order, so everybody kind of agrees on what's going on. You kind of need that for, for everything else. But many are quick to point out, you know, a lot of um, aspects and a lot of like liberties in the Constitution that are are meant to protect us are often ignored, you know. So in the case of the U.S., I mean, I can give some examples, you know, throughout history. It seems like, you know, there definitely have been First Amendment incursions from time to time. People are, you know, uh, uh, prosecuted for, for speech, for, for, you know, you know, so in other words, they violate free speech. This happened, you know, notably, uh, during World War I, um, also in the late 1700s under the Alien and Sedition Act. Uh, so, and, you know, some people, uh, maybe if you talk about the, the second amendment, you know, people who care about gun rights, say like gun rights have been violated. Maybe people who care about the third and fourth amendment, maybe say uh, due process has been violated. So they're kind of say, okay, well, this thing, this thing just didn't work is kind of the, uh, is kind of the takeaway. And I want to push back on this uh, a, a little bit, um, you know, well, first of all, let me keep going on the the argument that the Constitution didn't work. So people can point out that in other countries, it's more obvious that the Constitution didn't work. Uh, so, for example, in the Soviet Union, they did have a Bill of Rights that was, you know, said, hey, you have, uh, you know, the the right, uh, freedom of assembly, and um, the the um, you know the right to um, to uh, uh, to free speech and all that, and that was just completely. Uh, ignored um, and also like the UK has an unwritten constitution um, and so you would expect it to be even worse but I, you know it, it still does better than the Soviet Union than, to protect, than protect, protecting people's rights. Um, so I think that um, there is kind of a historical focal point in British society where certain lines are not crossed. Now these lines are crossed occasionally it's something I've been thinking about very recently because I feel like freedom of a, a assembly, uh, freedom to, uh, you know, lawfully assemble has just been thrown completely out the window and freedom of religion has just been co- thrown completely out the window um, in, you know, in the last 18 months during the pandemic without apology or without any, you know, indication that, hey, we need to do this, but this is a big deal. No, nope, just thrown out. So that's kind of a problem. And, you know, that hasn't made its way entirely through the courts yet. And, you know, who knows, maybe the courts will correct it to some degree or, um, Or maybe once the, you know the the uh, the uh, you know the the scariness of the pandemic has has worn off. I mean you know they're they're going with like the delta variant now is really scary. We need to you know impose new lockdowns, but I think it's it's working less and less. So maybe this will just wear off all the time. And so I guess the argument is well, our society is protecting other aspects of society is protecting us. The Constitution uh, isn't protecting us. However, I would say that. Um, so I, I kind of think about it this way. I contend that the question isn't, does a written constitution keep politicians or political actors from breaking it? Uh, the better question is the, the, the one that an economist would make, which is does having something in the Constitution, improve the chances that it'll get done that way versus not having it in there. So here are some examples. I'm just going to go back to the Bill of Rights, for example, which is the First and Second Amendment. Uh, despite the fact that, you know, you can point to places where, uh, you know, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, right to bear arms have been violated, those have held up pretty well, even when kind of society, even when the, the, the general uh, thoughts in society have kind of turned uh, against it. So there are some exceptions, but what you know, First Amendment parts of the First Amendment completely take, taken away during lockdown, lockdowns, other time in history. But but would it have been uh, taken away more had it not been in the Constitution? So uh, it, it also, like the the right to freedom of speech has been pretty well fleshed out and defined by the Supreme Court. So we have a pretty long record, and it's hard to just go against that um, just because someone feels like like it. It might feel like it's easy when they do it, but it really is kind of an uncommon thing. Actually, the the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, has gotten a lot stronger in recent years in the United States uh, than than it was before. Uh, So um, how is, and you know, you often say it's very, very difficult to reclaim rights once they've been taken away. Uh, If if you care about expansion of the right to bear arms, do you think that would have been possible if a Second Amendment didn't exist? I think probably not. So these things, the fact that they're written down and codified into law that everyone can agree, it kind of gives supporters a rallying cry around to uh, to, to make these things happen. And I do think that there is a need for consistency among the political systems, among the the, the judges among the politicians and all that. Now, we might be shocked at how hypocritical politicians can be sometimes or all the time, but there is a point, there's a point where they do need to have a common language and a common set of facts. And I know that sounds, I, I know, <laughs> I know from like reading Twitter and looking at statements and sometimes it feels like they don't, uh, you know, but, and, and, the, and they'll try to obfuscate, but a constitution makes it ve- much harder to obfuscate the truth. It makes it much harder to uh, to do certain things and to be a hypocrite, because remember, all of these politicians have to have, you know, they have donors, they have voters, and those donors and voters and supporters need to have um, some degree of consistency in order to support them, which means that they do have to rely on, like, some set of principles and some set of rules, even if, you know, most people who feel like they're principled and they have, uh, you know, they have ideas on, on, they have like, you know, consistent ideas on policy, you know, you look at what politicians are doing and you're like, oh, that's totally outside of, that, that's totally just crazy. Um, there has, to, because of the political system they're in, they have to have some degree of consistency which is, is again, uh, having a constitution and they all say that they support it and they all kind of, you know, uh, 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 pledge to support it. It makes it much more difficult. Uh, it, it makes certain things much harder to break. So now, as, as other people have pointed out, there are certain amendments to the constitution that have just been completely thrown out, the Ninth and 10th Amendment. And that's probably because they're just too vague and not that they're not important, they are important, they're too vague, but they didn't congeal into a focal point, into a rallying cry in that way. And it's too, they, the way that they're written, uh, even though, you know, well, uh, they, they're well, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're good ideas, perhaps, they are just very hard to rally around. So let's actually uh, bring up the Bill of Rights here, and let me see if I can uh, look at the Ninth and Tenth Amendment. Uh, bum, 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 bum. Here we go. So the Ninth and Tenth Amendment says, uh, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. So basically, the Ninth Amendment says, yeah, there are other rights that are not in here. Well, great, but the <laughs> the actually some of the people who were originally uh, creating the Constitution didn't want a Bill of Rights because they said, well, you know, no, the people have rights, and it just it doesn't need to be in the Constitution. Uh, so the Constitution doesn't, doesn't enumerate them, but, um, you know, uh, politicians are still required to accept them. So uh, Amendment 9 was put in to say, hey, just because we listed things here doesn't mean there are others. But now the problem is that you can easily disagree on what the other ones are. Uh, so I don't think that amendment really gets used very. I mean, I could I could certainly see it be used in certain circumstances. But and then uh, the Tenth Amendment says powers not delegated uh, to the U.S. Um, are reserved to the states or the people. But of course, if you are consistently expanding which powers you think are delegated to the federal government, then You know, (laughs) you just it's kind of begs the question here where it's just like, okay, yes, there are powers that we leave to the states, uh, but we're not really clearly defining what those are, so you could almost tell when it's written that it's sort of easy to keep expanding and expanding and expanding. So maybe those can go through a rewrite where, uh, there you can be a little bit more specific, but I actually think that, um there, so it's actually very clear that there's a difference here between the First Amendment and the Second Amendment, where they talk about, you know, prohibiting the free exercise of religion, can't do that, Uh, you know, right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed, all that stuff uh, is much more specific, and much easier. To, and I don't know if I'd write it today. I mean, look, this was written with 250 years ago. So obviously, you know, language has changed. And uh, you know, with the availability of information. They didn't have, I mean, imagine all this had to be written out by hand multiple times. So uh, this is, um, this is uh, you know, you, you might be able to do a better job today if uh, if you had, you know, good people in there, which the, the chance of having good people in there today uh, in comparison to what they had then is probably very low. But um, you can actually look at these clauses in the Constitution, and you you can look at how specific something is, and you can actually tell which are likely to be violated and which are uh, not likely to be violated. Uh, Another thing people point out is that the structure of the Constitution is very rarely violated. So, for example, it says every state has two senators, and, you know, you can't uh, change, you know, equal rights for states. You know, Wyoming, Gets the same number of votes as California. You know, people don't like that, particularly in California. But uh, that is spelled out very clearly in the Constitution. It's something that you can't really uh, can't really overturn, and therefore, you know, people people have not overturned it. Uh, you know, you can't just show up. You can't just have, you know, West Virginia appoint a senator or, or elect a senator, and then have that senator show up in Washington D.C. and then the Senate says, you know, now. We're not going to sit you. We're just going to sit one senator. Um, you know, what do you mean? What do you mean you're not going to sit the second? Eh, we just, we don't like you. We're just going to sit uh, one senator for uh, for West Virginia. You just, that just doesn't happen, even though I'm sure there are people who would like to do it and it would be in their interest to do it. Um, and, you know, there, there are powerful people who probably get away with it for a little while, but... Um, no, it's just too flagrant, and once you make something too flagrant uh, to um, uh, to, uh, to to violate, there's too much of a um, there's too much of a, a like a cognitive dissonance there. It just doesn't happen. Um, now, interestingly enough, uh, delegates can be removed from Congress, and so that is a structural issue that could be a problem sometimes uh it's kind of funny like why doesn't this happen more often i mean in the united states uh it has happened several times uh and, and you have to do it by a two-thirds vote of the uh, of of congress it's very difficult to do um so i think that's in some cases you know in in other countries particularly countries that are heading down the path of authoritarianism and and dictatorship, uh, They'll just wipe out you know people parties and, and people in, in in their legislature they don't like so uh, you know a, a great example that I happen to know about is the you know Nazi Germany and the and the Weimar Republic um, basically the the last somewhat free election I guess that the the Weimar Republic had they had the uh, they had the Nazi Party and the Communist Party have lots of seats in the Reichstag and both of those, are totalitarian parties, but they couldn't insti- they, they they couldn't institute so they they you know they both believed in state socialism they both believed in uh in you know not having a a, a democratic uh legislature or representative republic they both want they all power in in the state uh but they couldn't do that together because the nazi party would never um would never do a coalition with the Communist Party uh, because they had different state ideologies. So, uh, what would what happened? So, you know, how do you overturn democracy uh, with 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 that happening? I mean, you might have to, you know, uh, they might have to agree with the um, with the democratic parties of uh, of of the Weimar Republic. You know, the Social Democratic Party and 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 the center party, you now that they had a ton of parties over there. Um, so their strategy was, uh, well, the Nazis, they basically took over after the Reichstag fire, um, a bunch, so there was a, a fire at, at their capital. Um, it was set by people, unclear, uh, a bunch of, some communists, uh, maybe, although they you know, people still think it might have been kind of a false flag op- operation by the Nazis themselves. So they used that opportunity to ban the communist party uh, from the Reichstag. Well, we can't have that. They're burning down the the building, so we have to get rid of them. And so once they got rid of them, then they could pass the Enabling Act that gets, lets them get rid of the next party, which was the Social Democratic Party. Then they got rid of their allies, then they get rid of the, the Center Party and so on and so forth. So they sort of did a... Um, they sort of did a party collapse, where they get rid of one party, then they're a much bigger percentage of the parliament, then they can get rid of the next party, then they're a bigger percentage of parliament, until finally, you know, it's a one party state. And so you don't want that to happen. Um, And in, in the US, comparatively, the last guy who was uh, who, who was thrown out of Congress. It's a very, very different situation. This was a, a guy called James Traficant. I actually remember when this happened in 2002. It was for corruption. And it's kind of a situation where it was, it happened, you know, probably for for reasons why you would want to remove someone from from the Congress. Uh, and, and it's a fun one because if you, you listen to him, he has so many very funny quotes. He used to say, like, uh, here, here's one I'm reading, uh, you know, uh, he said of Congress when they expelled him, many of them are so dumb they could throw themselves at the ground and miss. All sorts of, you know, all sorts of different funny, maybe they shouldn't have thrown him out of Congress. I don't know. But it it's not the case where it's sort of a authoritarian takeover. It's, it's just, you know, they yes, the seat was open for a little bit, so you had people who were unrepresented. But then that uh, you know it wasn't done for ideological reasons. It was you know that particular uh, house seat could then be elected in the next Congress, and 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 the constituency there in Ohio, I think, were allowed to choose whoever they wanted. Now <laughs> there is currently actually an effort by one Congressperson, Cory Bush to uh along with like dozens of people in Congress to expel large numbers of Republican representatives right now um, after the um, after the the riot at the capitol and that 's still ongoing so that seems a little bit more um extreme that's that seems like if that were to happen, then the Congress would be kind of a a, a sham in terms of a representative uh Body, because you know it would be like a whole bunch of people expelled for ideological reasons, and then you know the, the, this faction that wants to the, the faction of people who are are doing the expelling then becomes a bigger percentage of the Congress then who knows maybe they 'll expel more and more people until we have a one party state but i don 't think that's going to happen or no, i, I don 't know that 's not going to happen because you need two thirds of the vote to to do that, and you 're not going to get two thirds of the vote so and that's in the Constitution, and it's, I mean, yes, you could theoretically, you know, the, uh, the, the leaders of, of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, could just say, hey, you know, we're going to ignore this two-thirds, but you know it's not going to happen. The Supreme Court would get involved, and uh, it's it ta- it, when it takes too many people to uh, get around a very clear law, uh, you, just, you just, this just won't happen, or um, nor do I think they necessarily want to. So here are my initial conclusions. Again, this is just kind of a, a stream of thought, thought experiment a little bit. Um, here are my initial conclusions on what I think about constitutions. Constitutions are clearly not ironclad guarantees. That, that they will be followed. I mean, I think somebody at Porkfest said, you know, they should just add a clause at the end of the Constitution that says, and we mean it, um, which of course is a, is a is a joke. I mean, the idea is that, um, you know, the Constitution doesn't do anything. So, you know, you do, amending it, you know, won't do anything. But I disagree. I feel like you can amend the Constitution, particularly structurally, it will have to be followed. And then also, even if you, um, you know, enumerate the rights better and have more specific uh you know more specific things Uh, like i i feel like the right of assembly during a pandemic you know if that were protected or if there were very specific like it said hey um if there's a really bad pandemic then it takes two-thirds of congress to overturn right of assembly and that only lasts for six months and then they have to vote again then i'm pretty sure that that would have had to been followed and then who knows, maybe that would have lasted for six months, and then, you know, I think you'd get uh, more than a third to, uh, to block it the next time around. Um, so, and, and I don't, I'm, I'm pretty sure if it were that specific that they wouldn't have been able to just go in and do it. Um, okay, so I, I think that um, certain structural rules provide a focal point again, from a game theory perspective, even though it's, you know, it's not a formal game, which is like, you know, when we talk about game theory, we're often talking about a mathematical game, but it's hard to dislodge that. And also a declaration of rights, uh, like the First Amendment, Second Amendment, Third, Fourth, can provide a focal point where, you know, for, for where those rights are, and it's kind of hard to break those down over time, even though, you know, politicians and certain factions might try. Um, But, you know, something that protects your right for 100 years uh, and then you can use it to get it back uh, is better than, certainly better than nothing at all. Um, So I think my current takeaway, I don't have a whole theory on how to write a constitution today. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. But uh, my takeaway just uh, in, in, in this kind of exploration is that when you're writing a constitution or any agreement, It's always good to think about how it can be undermined in the future. You know, note that the U.S. Constitution, again, is written pretty early on as far as constitutions go. They didn't have a lot of data to go on. They had a lot of history and stuff, but they didn't have a lot of data on how kind of a post, uh, you know, a a modern— day state with a constitution would, would, would work. And it still held up remarkably for what it is, uh, despite the fact that um, certain rights have been violated and and certain bad things have happened. Um, The question isn't, do you blame those bad things in the constitution? The the, the question is, you know, would it have been worse or better if certain things were in or not in or, or removed from the constitution? And I think you could, you have to go, you know, clause by clause and, and figure out you know which is which, but I think that's the better question to ask. Ultimately, not um, not say we had a constitution and all these bad things happened, therefore constitution bad. That's uh, that 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 it's always compared to what when you're talking about any you know economic or you know you know question of of whether we should have something or not. So. Where else can we take this? It's not just about the Constitution. Uh, I I want to talk about other things. Look at cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is a set of rules that uh, everybody follows, and it makes it almost impossible not to reach a focal point when you come to cryptocurrency. In fact, Bitcoin was designed uh, so that people can, uh, different nodes in the system, different machines, and ultimately the different people behind those machines can come to an agreement on what is real, which uh, which payments have been made. And I'm pretty, and that's why I'm pretty sure that Bitcoin will stick to its original constitution because it's so hard to change it. Um, now there are exceptions. You can create a fork like Bitcoin cash where they didn't agree. And so you got two coins. Um, and so that happens sometimes. Uh, but, uh, you know, but, uh, because of the, the freedom of it, the, the, because you could pick which, which chain you're on, uh, that's, uh, you know that that allows a lot of innovation um i also think a lot about this when it comes to kind of corporate governance so corporations they have a board you know foursquare where i work we have a board uh in episode 108 i talked about a proposal made by bernie sanders to uh because right now everyone on the board has to represent the shareholders and in fact they're legally required to represent the shareholders they can't well obviously it's bad if they kind of uh, represent their own interests on the board you don't want that So fiduciary laws kind of protect against that, but someone like Bernie Sanders said, well, yeah, obviously we don't want that, but we want to have people on the board that represent other, um, other interests, like you know what's going on in the community, and you know what's uh, what's going on with the customers and the suppliers and the employees and and so on and so forth, and um, so uh, uh, this wouldn't be people wouldn't be putting forth proposals like this, if it didn't matter, it matters a lot. Um, and so, uh, you know, and, and you, know, you think about a lot of things, what can the board do? And what can the management do? Well, the board can ultimately like fire the CEO and replace the CEO, but they can't get into the nitty gritty of the management decisions that the CEO makes over time. So they can't micromanage them too much. Um, but, uh, you know, they can issue shares and that sort of thing. And so there's very specific things that the board can do, and very specific things that management can do, and uh, a lot of this has been kind of rolled up into you know custom of how these uh, corporate agreements are written, and of course regulations on, on you know how how corporations are formed. Um, another interesting example is uh, treaties. Here, a lot of times you're making treaties with countries that uh, that um, you don't trust, or what was the uh, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of the, the treaty that uh, Ronald Reagan signed with uh, with uh, the the Soviet Union, and he used the, the phrase, trust but verify, that comes from original Russian phrase. Um, and so, the idea was, if they're going to eliminate some nuclear weapons, or they're going to cut back on nuclear weapons, there has to be verification fo- protocols, weapons inspectors, to make it kind of difficult uh, uh, to cheat. And so in this case you don't really have um you don't really have a expectation of of kind of goodwill of everyone kind of on the same page and so if you don't have that um you you do have to have uh some verification protocols like weapons inspectors or you know uh checking for uh radiation and that kind of thing so more conclusion I think in relationships that require trust, you need to seek common ground, common language, and common values. Uh, If you're dealing with someone you can't trust, a trust-but-verify model is good. And nowadays, you can develop cryptocurrencies and blockchains. Those can provide mass coordination without trust, and that's something that you really couldn't do uh, 20 years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's why it's such a very exciting uh, area of technology. Uh, language, actually, now that I think about it, language is an interesting example here because that's also mass coordination uh, without trust. Oh, but then again, we know that people try to manipulate language all the time. So let's bring this back to the whole coordination problem again. Where uh, would you meet if you had to meet someone in your hometown Uh, Let me know at, um, uh, if you join our locals, let me know at uh, maximum.locals.com. And again, stream of consciousness on coordination and and trust and constitutions. I think it's all related. And uh, yeah, next week I am going to talk to Aaron, I hope. And we're going to come to a mathematical topic. uh, And we're going to talk about... We're going to talk about numbers, the theory of numbers, not number theory, but, uh, you know, the the like, like what is a number and what are some interesting things you could do with them that uh, you might not think. So that'll be interesting. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at maximum.locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week.